0: We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that this podcast is being recorded on, the Wajak people of Perth region. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community and pay our respects to them and their cultures and to Elders both past and present. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side and the truth. Come on girls, let's go shopping. That's not a knife. This is a knife. What are you looking at? Not in a what you me. You're mad, you're For him, you Far am you. Around you. I swear to Christ, ladies, you get a bag of all sorts in here, mate. Welcome to Whoop G'day, and welcome to the Last New Wave. I'm Andrew Pearce, and this is a podcast that looks at the wide and varied landscape that is Australian cinema. On this episode, I'm joined by Phil Jarrett, who is the producer of the documentary Men of Wood and Foam, which is out on Umbrella Entertainment right now. This is a documentary that looks at the pioneers of the Australian surfboard industry. Namely, the Brookvale Six, who are made up of Barry Bennett, Scott Dillon, Denny Keogh, Greg McDonough, Bill Wallace, and Gordon Woods. This is a documentary that, that is really interesting, and certainly if you like Australian history and Australian surfboard history, then this is something you're really going to look out for and, and want to seek out. And especially, you know, I'm recording this right in the middle of summer. It's really hot, so we're all at the beach. We're all enjoying our water, surfing, the time in the water and all that kind of stuff. And so this is a documentary that is really, uh, makes you want to go out and, and take a dip in the ocean. Let's take a quick listen to the trailer and we'll be back with the interview with Phil. Also allowed
1: Dad to buy his daughter a board that she could put on the roof racks of the Morris Minor and go and have a surf. That was that was a turning point. It took surfing away from surf clubs and gave it to the general population.
0: Every culture needs its heroes. Our first was an awkward, unassuming teenager named Bernard Farrelly, known as Midget. At the age of 19, Farrelly has become the idol of the blossoming surfy cult. Uh, Speed is probably one of the uh, most noticeable things, but uh, you also get uh, satisfaction from uh, putting the necessary things into your riding to make the uh, ride a successful one. Everyone wanted to be like Midget. All you needed was a surfboard. Tell me where (laughs) the the inspiration came for this documentary and, and why you wanted to do it now.
1: Well, um, I, I've uh, I've been involved in uh, the surf media uh, off and on over the last uh, forty five, nearly, nearly fifty years, Andrew, and uh, and over that over that time, I've seen the uh, the evolution of, uh, of of the surfboard surfboard industry and the surfwear industry. Um, you know, it's had its golden years and it's had its lean years. Currently, we're going through a bit of a lean spot. Um but over that whole period I've watched the the pioneers of uh, of the sport, the pioneers of uh, the surfboard industry uh start to get old and then get really old and uh I suddenly realised that uh, that these guys who I knew and admired, or I had known and admired since uh the early nineteen sixties, uh were, were getting very ancient and uh and would not be with us forever. Um and I felt that their story hadn't been properly told. Um and uh, so I decided I was going to do something about it, and uh, and I set out to make a documentary that uh, that told the story through their through their voices and through through their ideas uh, before it was too late. And you've got to remember that these guys who actually started the industry back in the uh, immediate post-war years of the late nineteen forties uh, and saw it through the, you know through its boom period in the nineteen sixties uh, were now in their eighties and in some cases uh, well into their nineties. And uh, and since we since we finished filming, we've actually lost three uh, of the uh, people who are major figures in the industry in uh, Brookvale and Sydney. Uh, so obviously the timing was pretty good.
0: Yeah, and and you know it's great that uh, fortunately you're able to get these voices on there. It's really sad that they've, they've unfortunately passed on, but it's it's great that at least you've you've captured their stories on film. And one of the stories which I was doing some reading up about uh, the. You know, when you were, you were essentially showing the the, the people uh, the the test footage or the you know the working print of the the film, and you took a, mm. a working print to one of the nursing homes uh, to showcase the film and, and just show you know show uh, what the film was like and and you know revisit these these stories and you know it was great to hear the, the well great to read the joy that you know I can't remember who it was unfortunately but it's great to read the joy that this guy had seeing his history being shown on screen and, and being able to have a beer as well, which was nice too. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know, that, you're talking
1: about Scott Dillon, who's yeah. uh, one of the principal characters, uh, one of the so-called Brookvale six who, who founded the industry. And, um, yeah the great thing about it is that um you know when you you, you stop and think that oh oh uh, a documentary about um old men in their eighties and nineties uh how interesting can this be uh but the fact of the matter is that uh, these characters are still so vibrant so full of fun and energy um even scott who uh who has dementia and uh was in, at this point was at the early stages of it uh, and is confined to a nursing home um he he can even make a joke out of that. And uh, he says in the his great line in the film is uh, he's talking about the early days when there would be a keg every Friday afternoon. One of the manufacturers would throw a keg to their employees, and uh, they'd all sit around outside uh, in their work clothes uh, drinking beer out of the keg. Uh, and he finishes up his little spiel about that by saying, uh, you know, but today it's not like that. You can't even get a beer in the nursing home. <laughs> so, so I turned I turned up with a with a uh, a DVD, uh, you know, an early, early stages DVD of the film before it had been released, uh, turned up at the nursing home with a six-pack of beer, and we sat there with his with his nurses uh, in the in the common room at the nursing home and they all thought it was just the, the most fantastic uh, thing they've ever seen. Scotty was just loving loving uh, being able to recreate uh, all these great moments of his, of his youth. I think uh, a lot of the other uh, people at the, at the home were not aware that he was quite, quite famous in his own way. So it was a huge, um, it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful thing for his spirits, um, but his spirits actually make part of the movie. And in fact, all of the, uh, all of the guys, the central characters, um, uh, shared that same uh, that same kind of feeling that they they were forever young. You know they were able to tell their stories in, in um, really interesting and, and exciting and funny ways.
0: Well, it's great. It, it really is because you know Australia is a country where you know we we're surrounded by beautiful beaches all around Australia, and we have some of the best beaches for surfing in Australia as well. And I, I think you know I think that I fear that people would for, would have forgotten the history of surf, surfing in Australia and surfboard creation in Australia. Like, it's it's a pretty significant slice of our history. And, you know, I, I'm glad that a documentary like this exists because, you know, then people can actually seek it out and go, oh, my gosh, you know, this happened at a pretty vital point in our history where, you know, coming back from the war, as you are saying the 1950s, 1960s, and kind of reinvigorating things in, in some regard so was that i mean you've as you're saying you've done a lot of riding you know decades of, of surfing riding and stuff like that and you know i can't surf to save myself at all but uh, i used to work with a guy who was uh, a keen surfer and absolutely loved it every morning he was up and out the beach surfing and and absolutely loved all kinds of different surfboards and stuff like that and he would tell me all about the history and stuff which is fantastic you know long boards short boards and it was really, really fascinating, and I didn't understand the lingo at all. But uh, you know, it was still really, really fascinating. So, for you as a lover and admirer of surfing and riding and, and telling these stories, how important is it for you to tell this kind of story?
1: Uh, look, it's, it's been um, it's been the mainstay of my of my life. Um, you know, my, my writing life, uh, I've done many other things as well. Um, and I've only turned to filmmaking, um, uh, you know, in my, in my relative, relative old age. Um, but, um, in different ways in books and magazines, uh, and, and now in film, um, I've spent, uh, most of the last 50 years telling, telling stories about, uh, the development of surfing and about the characters in it. So, um, for me it is extremely important. I've, I've published uh, uh, about 36, 37 books now and about half of those have, uh, have concerned one element of surfing uh, or another including incl- including two comprehensive histories of Australian surfing. So I, I suppose um, you know I would be considered uh, an expert in the subject um, but the fact that this, this film Men of Wood and Foam uh, has particular resonance for me because uh, I knew these people personally, and I'd followed their, their their life patterns. I'd followed their successes and their failures, um, and I knew them uh, well enough to be able to ask them at this very late stage in their lives uh, to participate in uh, creating a film about an aspect of Australian surfing that hadn't really been explored very much. Um, so for me, that uh, I suppose you know, when I look back on. On my own lifetime of uh, achievements in in the surfing media and in writing about surfing, um, this actual making of making of a film uh, about this particular element uh, is something that I'm, I'm most proud of, um, and hopefully I'll be able to make a couple more. Hopefully, uh, the, the powers that be in the uh, in the great uh, great halls of um, of uh, television land will throw a bit of money at a poor old bloke, <laughs> and I might be able to make a couple more. I, I certainly hope so.
0: Well, fingers crossed because, you know, it is it is great that you've written so much about surfing and, and the history of surfing in Australia, but, uh, you know, ov- obviously uh, surfing is a very visual medium um, and, you know, having a, a film about it is is superb and, and great to be able to convey the awe and wonder of, of what it is to be able to surf. Um, so in that regard, going from writing to filmmaking in some regards, you, uh, this is collaborative work with Sean Cairns, how is that? How did you find that process?
1: Um, well, you know, I've been involved in um, film projects for for many years. Uh, I've written I've written scripts for, for films, and and I've worked uh, I've worked in the editing process, um, and uh, I've had a couple of uh, production roles in the past in other films. Um, so I wasn't coming to it completely new, but um, as far as taking on a um, Uh, A project like this, which was quite a difficult project to pull off, um, but also it was a difficult project to get funding for, Um, I had to feel really confident in uh, in in putting together a small team, Um, and uh, a guy called Sean Cairns, who you just mentioned, who uh, who started out as the the director uh, of photography um, for the film, uh, but had so many ideas, Uh, he's a a lot younger than me, he represented the youth component um, of, uh, of the project. He had so many great ideas about how to bring uh, by-story ideas into into the visual context uh, that he ended up becoming a director. Uh, which was which was great, and now that we now we've established that combination, we want to go on and do and do more documentaries as producer director. Um, so it, it was a, a relatively easy process, um, and uh, we're very fortunate uh, that despite the fact that there's a generation between us, you know, he's he's forty and I'm nearly seventy. Um, despite that fact um we we think alike uh and we approach problems from two different perspectives um which is a great great uh, thing to have on your side when you're trying to make film
0: oh definitely yeah <laughs> that's for sure and now as you're saying there's there's a bit of a lull in uh the interest in sort of uh surfboard making at the moment is that correct
1: I'm sorry. Can you repeat
0: that? Uh, the, you were saying before that there's a bit of a lull in uh, in the interest in surfboard making uh, in modern day at the moment. Is that is that correct, or is it sort of the interest in surfing uh, itself no. surf has changed? Or
1: no, uh, no, Well, it's a little bit of a little bit of both. But uh, but the real issue is that there's been you know, a major downturn in the. Uh, that what, what's driven the industry um, uh, over the last? 20, 30 years, it's not been the sales of surfboards. It's been it's been the sales of surfwear, of t-shirts and board shorts and so on. Um, you know, the, the big companies like Quiksilver, Curl, Billabong and so on, um, they've been the drivers of the, of the entire industry, and they've also been the image factory with their advertising, uh, uh, sponsored films uh, and sponsoring uh, athletes in, in the in the surfing um, disciplines. So. The fact of the matter is that, um, like other parts of the economy, um, they've been in the doldrums since uh, the global financial crisis, you know, half a dozen years ago. Um, the surf industry hasn't hasn't quite recovered from that. Um, but I think um, part of the recovery that we're seeing now is a renewed interest in in uh, retro things. And part of that is a uh, is a real appreciation uh, of uh, of the pioneers and, and what they did, and uh, replicating the surfboards that um, that they produced way back when, um, and even the, even the, uh, in the in the longboard um, area um replicating the styles of surfing that uh that these guys performed you know 50 60 years ago so you know in, in that sense um the production of uh, men of wood and foam was, was timely in that we've we've picked up on a, a revival of retro just at the right time
0: yeah well, the the kind of artisanal nature of um you know, handmade boards and stuff like that. And besides them looking fantastic, you know, they, they also do have a, uh, I can imagine probably have a, a significant difference compared to, uh, the, the computer made surfboards, which have been so fine tuned to make sure that, you know, X, Y, and Z matches, uh, you know, getting the right curl and the, 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 the wave and all that kind of stuff. Um, which is great that you've been able to kind of ride that wave a little bit in some regards. Um, so with the, 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 the history of the, the Brookvale 6 as well, I'm curious, Like, uh, the, from my understanding, there was a bit of a connection between uh, Australia and America as well. Was there a bit of rivalry there in, in some regards as to uh, them coming along and, and introducing a different type of surfing into Australia?
1: Um, well, there's always been a healthy rivalry between, between uh, Australia and particularly uh, Hawaii and California. Um, and uh, both Hawaii and California uh, were, were far more advanced in uh, modern modern surfboard manufacture and surfboard riding for many years. Um, and in 1956, um, when when the guys who feature in our film uh, were actually uh, either just starting out uh, making surfboards, um, uh, generally speaking, they were the uh, they were what, what's known as toothpicks. They were the 16 foot long, um, hollow. Um, boards that were used by surf and for paddle races uh, and also used for riding waves. That was what passed for a surfboard in Australia in 1956. And then uh, 1956, the year of the Melbourne Olympics, um, the, uh, the powers that be decided in conjunction with the Melbourne Olympics, they would hold an international surf carnival and invite lifeguard teams from around the world, including uh, teams representing Hawaii and California. And when those teams turned up in Australia uh, in October of 1956, they brought with them um, a, a style of surfboard called the Malibu, uh, which was, uh, generally speaking, about uh, three metres long um, and was made uh, from balsa wood um, with a fiberglass coating over the balsa, and they had fins. In Australia, in Australia we'd never seen surfboards with fins. Uh, and these were, compared to what we were surfing, they were relatively light and manoeuvrable. Uh, and the, the, the guys in the lifeguard teams included some of the best-known surfers, uh, American surfers of that period. Um, and that was really the catalyst for the Australian surfboard industry taking off. It was the guys who had already started making uh, the old-style toothpick surfboards who looked at these boards and said, Oh, my God, I can, you know, I can make real money if, uh, if I could make these. You there? Know?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just listening to the yeah, history. Sorry. It's fa- fascinating. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> so how yeah, is well there... that's, that's kind of. A... Sorry, you go. You're right.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the, that's the way it got started. And um, between 1956 and uh, 1960, uh, there were various attempts to, to replicate the Americans' boards. Um, and some were successful, some not so. Uh, The main problem was that uh, in Australia you couldn't get hold of balsa. Uh, Balsa wood was very rare. It came from Ecuador and South America. Um, And uh, the supply of balsa in Australia was very erratic. Uh, so it, it, it took some time for the, the surfboard craze to really take off, but by about 1961, uh, you had uh, surf music on the radio. You had uh, the Beach Boys coming out of California, and uh, by 62, 63, Australia had uh, followed suit, and we had uh, we had the Deltones, uh, we had uh, all these uh, Little paddy, and all these surf bands had emerged. And the whole. Uh, craze for surfing uh propelled the industry into its golden era from about 63 to 1969 these were the golden years for uh, the brookvale six
0: yeah wow i I forgot about the the connection between music and and you know the actual art of surfing itself uh i completely forgot about that so it's it's amazing to see Mm. uh how that's all intertwined and, and and related to one another now you know, obviously, coming back to the fact that Australia is so in love with the the ocean, I'm curious for you as a as a lover of uh, you know surfing and stuff like that. What is it for you that you enjoy about the the sport of surfing?
1: Uh, the fact that I can still do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, when I when I was uh, when I was starting out uh, as a as a young surfer more than fifty years ago, uh, it, it never occurred to me or to any of my contemporaries that uh, we would be surfing when, when we were old men, um, because in those days, uh, in, admittedly you started later than kids do today. My grandsons, uh, I've got um, four beautiful grandsons, and they they have all started surfing uh, at around about the age of six or seven. Um, I didn't actually start till about third, 12 or 13, uh, and that was for one simple reason. Uh, you couldn't carry a board down to the beach. They were too heavy. Um, we you know the, the the surfboard of the day was this huge heavy log and um so we started later and in most cases we believe that uh once we once once we got married and you know bought a house and had a mortgage and kids started to come along that would be the end of, of surfing uh, if you if you were really clever and lucky you might end up playing golf with you mate every second saturday but you know, as far as as far as uh, being a full-time surfer is concerned we never thought it would last much beyond our mid-20s and uh my generation the baby boomers uh are the first uh that have surfed through life and uh now there's quite a movement uh of that name, surfing through life, um, because it's, uh, it it keeps you it keeps you healthy and happy, um, and and well adjusted. I think there are so many so many people who have managed to build successful careers um, while surfing. Uh, every day they can. Uh, in my case, most of my career has been centered on uh, some aspect of surfing, and I've been very fortunate to, to surf with some of the best surfers in the world in many different places. Um, and now, it's uh, even you know as I'm, as I, I'm in my, my middle 60s heading towards 70, I, um, I still surf every day that there are waves, and uh, I can still do it. I still compete um, in my old age divisions <laughs> and have a lot of fun doing that and uh so i'm I'm just really happy that uh that i was able to be part of the generation that didn't stop
0: which is good and you know i'm glad that that you know it's it's continuing on Mm -hmm. and you know coming back to the the boss that i used to work with he he one of the things he echoed all the time is he was like you know i don't see any reason why i need to stop surfing or going and doing the things that i enjoy just because i got married and had a kid and you know, lived a life, like, there's no reason to stop doing that at all, you know, the, you still got to go out and do the things that you enjoy, you know, people don't stop going to see football games and stuff like that just because they have kids, so it's great to see that, you know, there is a, a recognition that, you know, if you enjoy doing something and you love doing it, then stick at it regardless of, you know, your your life circumstances because it keeps you going, it keeps you, you know, alive and, and excited and most importantly, I think in Australia, yeah, I think least... You know we can continue a connection between land and water and and that's a huge huge thing
1: yeah well i mean it's very true i know i know quite a quite a few people who actually chose surfing rather than the uh, conventional uh, lifestyle you know whether that involved wives and kids or or just proper jobs you know i know people who just devoted their entire lives to surfing um some you know some, for better or for worse in, in different cases but um I've, you know, as I said, I've been I've been fortunate in that my professional life has been able to pretty much be there, be entwined with my surfing life, and uh, not many people, not that many people have that opportunity. So I've been blessed.
0: Well, it's great. I'm I'm really glad to hear that. You know, somebody out there is doing uh, something that they love and getting paid for it. You know, that's it's it's really great to hear that. Um, so in that regard, you know, surfing. Is there a particular surfing spot in Australia that you particularly love visiting?
1: <laughs> um well I, li- I live in one of the best I, you know, particularly for an old guy. Uh, I I live in Hens in Queensland and uh you know it's uh, that uh, people often say it's where old surfers go to die. <laughs> um it's uh we we have beautiful right hand point breaks um that uh, are perfect for uh Soft landings. You can't really do too much. To you. Well, you can, hurt, you can hurt yourself on the rocks, but um, it's a lot. It's a lot safer than uh, than, than many many places I've surfed uh, around Australia and around the world. Um, you know, during my time, um, and I'm, I'm really happy to be uh, to be able to surf there. But I, I also um, I love I love going to Indonesia. It's always been a passion for me, and I continue to uh, to go there. Um, at least at least twice a year sometimes three or four times and uh and surf challenging waves there um not as many as uh i used to but uh i'm still getting out there on good size days and enjoying that but there are so many great surf breaks all around australia and i'm always happy to be um uh to be able to get in the water anywhere
0: well that's understandable it's is surfing <laughs> do you see that as being kind of like a universal language around the world like as you're saying, you go to Indonesia and you, you can surf quite freely there. Um, you know, when you mm-hmm. arrive there, even if you don't speak Indonesian at all, do you find that, you know, hey, you're a surfer, great, no worries, I know exactly what you're talking about?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it would probably help if you spoke Portuguese because uh, there are far too many Brazilians <laughs> there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I'm, I'm only half joking, but... Um, no, I mean you know, look, in surfing around the world, particularly in uh, in, in the undeveloped countries uh, like Indonesia, um, you, you either learn learn to speak a little bit of the uh, of the language, or uh, you know, in the early days at least, you would go hungry. Uh, it was certainly very hard to find a cold beer if you couldn't speak a little bit of, uh, of uh, Bahasa Indonesia. And uh, and I, you know, I speak. I, I'm not fluent, but I speak quite a bit. Um, And I've also picked up dialects in in other places around the world that I've uh, been to surf at. But I've never never been to a place where I felt unwelcome as a a visitor. Um, There were, you know, back in the 70s, we we had a few um, altercations between Australians and uh, Hawaiians uh, uh, who, who, you know, felt that... um, they weren't getting the recognition uh, that they deserved. That the that Australia had a stranglehold on all the world titles and so on, and there was some, you know there were a few nasty nasty periods there. But by and large, um, I, I do I feel that there is a brotherhood of surfing and a sisterhood of surfing around the world, and uh, and I just really enjoy surfing in any company anywhere.
0: In in that regard, as you mentioned, you know, sisterhood of surfing too. The, the relationship I I you know looking back at. Uh, one of the great australian films puberty blues which i i always love because there's some scenes in that film where the girls go and watch the guys surfing and at the end of the film the girls pick up the surfboard and then go out and surf and and the guy's like you can't do that and the girl's like well you know mm-hmm. just watch me see see me surf and and that's it so have you noticed the the you know, the industry, the, 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 the sport essentially over the years become more inclusive mm-hmm. of, of women surfers and and how has that changed over the years?
1: Well, uh, we address this in the film, but you know, the, when you mentioned puby Blues, the uh, one of the young guys on the beach who tells the girls like, they can't go out there and surf is uh, it's actually the very young Mark Okolipo, the great uh, Australian champion. Right. Uh, <laughs> Who's who, is had that, is that to live with that uh, ever since the film was made more than 30 years ago. Um, but uh, knowing Oki, uh, I think he probably probably part of him still believes that is the case. <laughs> <laughs> Sexism in surfing uh, lives on, but but it's not the, not what the way it used to be. Um, you know, the girls have just uh, have shown uh, that they uh, that they can command respect in big big surf, small surf. It doesn't matter, onshore or offshore. Um, Put them out there, they'll get the job done. And some of them uh, are are, are incredible talents. Um, Lane Beachley, who's uh, no longer on on the tour, but um, has been an iconic figure in in women's surfing and is now the uh, the chairperson of uh, Surfing Australia, uh, the governing body of the sport. Uh, she's been a fantastic um, ambassador for women in surfing, and um, I think uh, you know the the generation that followed her, the Sally Fitzgibbons, Steph Gilmores etc. Uh, the Tyler Rights um, are, are going to do just as good a job, um, maybe even uh, better, uh, in getting women's women surfing the um, the, uh, the the name uh, out there with the guys that it really truly does deserve.
0: Oh, it's good. I'm glad. And, you know, it's great to be inclusive and all that kind of stuff and and people just enjoying the sport, which, you know, as you're saying, people, you know, you feel welcome uh, with a common interest, and and that's the main thing. Now, we'll wrap up in a second because I've taken up a lot of your time and I really appreciate it. Um, Is there anything about this documentary that you wish that uh, people would know that I haven't asked or that other people haven't asked you about the documentary? Um,
1: Well, look, not really, but let me just say that, um, that when I when I was making the film, um, I felt that it probably had a fairly uh, particular uh, Australian audience that it may not translate to other parts of the world, um, and uh, and yet uh, just after it first aired uh, on Foxtel's History Channel um, uh, at the beginning of uh, this year. Um, uh, within a, within a matter of weeks um, I'd received a, a, an invitation to screen it um, at the Santa Barbara Film Festival oh, um, and uh, which which is a you know a pretty a pretty big high-hitting uh, film festival I was I was delighted to take it over there and um, the American audience absolutely loved it they understood the spirit of these old men they understood the rivalry between the Americans and the and uh, the Australians in in uh, coming up with new advances in surfboard uh, uh, technique, uh, surfboard building, um, and in the technique of surfing itself, um, they just loved every aspect of it. And I found that sense in, in, screening, in screenings we've had uh, everywhere from from Taiwan uh, to uh, to France, uh, Spain, and Japan. Um, it's it's travelled really, really well, and that's something that I I, I wasn't expecting, and it's been a real uh, a great bonus.
0: Oh, that's that's really great to hear i'm I'm glad that it gets embraced around the world because you know it's I imagine that as a filmmaker mm-hmm. it's and you know storyteller it's it's, it's always a, a you know an, an air mm-hmm. of trepidation i guess in some regards when you you tell you know you put your your essentially your baby out into the world and and hope that people enjoy it and love it and it's great to hear that it's been embraced around the world um so the the last question that I ask everybody that comes on because you know we're talking about Australian film and Australian cinema. Is there an Australian film that uh, particularly resonates with you that you enjoy watching or you would recommend people seek out?
1: Um, well there are so many great Australian films um, but uh, you know you're asking to single one out and we're talking about surfing documentaries. Uh, for me, the, the, the breakthrough uh, surfing documentary which was uh, made by a very good friend of mine called Albert Falsen, uh back in 1972 uh, and resulted in me immediately buying a ticket to go to Bali for the first time and uh, that's become a, a really important part of my life. Um, uh, my relationship with uh, Balinese people particularly the Balinese surfers who were little kids then hadn't really started surfing until until my generation got over there um, and are now are now uh, you know well into middle age and have uh, you know second and even third generation surfing like like I do um, so this film has got a special piece in my heart, uh, as it has, I think, um, for a, a great many uh, surfers from my generation, and it also resonates with um, with the surfers of today. It's a film called Morning of the Earth um, by Albert Salzen. As I said, uh, it was one of the first uh, surf films to dispense with the idea of narration and just let the images and the really cool original soundtrack uh, tell the story. And um, so it was a breakthrough film in many in many ways, and it's still worth watching today.
0: Well, I I haven't heard of myself, but I'm going to seek it out as well because you know watching those kinds of films is uh, I I love any kind of uh, film that that opens a, a world that I'm not too familiar with. So you know, like your own film and and like that film, I'm I'm excited to watch them because that that's exactly what I watch cinema for. Uh, look, so thank you well, so much yeah. for your time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. What were you yeah, going to say,
1: Andrew? You, 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 I was going to say, Andrew, you be careful about that, or you'll turn into a surfer. <laughs>
0: Well, that, that's it. I mean, I, I've certainly tried, uh, uh, you know, my hardest to, to surf, but my uh, my balance is not great. But you know, persistence is key. I think is the, the main thing. And and I think, you know, I, I guess in some regard, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are. You can you can pick up a surfboard and start going for it. And uh, I imagine, you know, that's for sure. Yeah, the community out there is going to be very supportive of you. I, I hope, at least, uh, to to be able to get people <laughs> to say, you know. This is how you do it. Um, yep. Phil, I, I really yep. appreciate your time. It's been great chatting about your film and and I'll be plugging it as much as I can to, to make sure people seek it out on Umbrella. Um, and it comes with a special feature or a special documentary on there as well, which uh, I'm, I'm really keen to dig into as well when it finally arrives.
1: Okay, mate. Look, thanks very much for your time. No uh,
0: enjoy talking
1: to you. Cheers,
0: thank you. Okay, you right. bye. bye. See ya. So that is producer Phil Jarrett and his documentary, Men of Wood and Foam, which, as I mentioned, is out on Umbrella Entertainment. You can pick it up on their website, umbrellaent.com.au. I highly recommend doing that. I've had a chance to actually seek it out and watch it now, and it's fantastic. It's really interesting. And as you heard, I know absolutely diddly squat about surfing. But I found it really engaging and really interesting and certainly for land that is covered in amazing stunning beaches like Australia it's really great to be able to dive into the history of what went into making surfing possible in Australia and around the world. So it's fantastic and I really appreciate Phil giving me his time to dig into all of that. And I appreciate you listening to this show as well, it means a lot, it's really fantastic that you do that. And if you want to listen to more of this kind of stuff, head over to our website, which is abfilmreview.com, where you can listen to previous episodes of AB Film Review and The Last New Wave. Make sure to also follow us on social media at Review on both Twitter and on Facebook. And also head over to the Ozcast Network to listen to other shows like the Yeager Day podcast, which is a fantastic show that gives you a little bit of history into Australia as a whole. That's it from me. Make sure to keep on watching Australian films and I'll see you on the next episode of The Last New Wave.